On this second Sunday of Advent, uh, we continue with our theme, as we heard through the children's message, that the angels help us adore Jesus. Our Advent passages will continue to be from the book of Revelation, um, and Revelation is a book that encourages discipleship and prepares us, each of us, for the advent of the second coming of Jesus. So last week we looked at the church of Sardis, and uh, this morning we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. And as we do this, we look at the angels and their role in the life of the church and how angels are encouraging us to adore Jesus, to live our lives for Jesus in such a broken and sinful world. So these letters that we heard last week and this week again, they're written to the angels of the churches. The angels are the heavenly messengers, again, used to ensure that the church gets the message. Throughout the book of Revelation, when angels are mentioned, the author John is referring to supernatural beings, uh, heavenly angels or messengers. And we can assume that's what he's meaning in these letters as well. It appears somehow that angels preside over the churches. The angels ensure that the churches respond in a way that pleases the Lord, in a way that brings adoration and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. The angels help us as a church to be part of God's mission and to witness to the world so that the world, too, may come to adore Jesus. Before we read from Revelation 3, 14 through 22, let's come to God in prayer. Father God, you have given us your word, and not only as instruction, but as the gospel of Jesus, pointing our attention and adoration to Jesus. You use your Holy Spirit to do that, and through these letters you will also use your angels. In today's world, it's difficult to keep our focus on Jesus, and we all need help so we can get to point, so we can get our eyes to be pointed towards the Savior, so that our eyes and our hearts and our minds are all pointed to you. So bless the reading of this word and the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation 3, 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
As uh, we read a letter last week, and we read another this week, I think it's important to keep in mind that the letters to these churches are not being spoken and written to an unbelieving culture or an apostate world. The letters are admonishing the people who are not following Jesus. Or rather, these letters are not admonishing people who are not following Jesus. Rather, these letters are being written to the church. They're being written to the church of Jesus Christ. These letters are being written to those who who say they follow Jesus. Or think they are following Jesus. So this morning we look at the seventh letter written to the churches in Revelation. And in this Advent season, yes, we are only looking at two out of the seven letters. And the church of Laodicea seems to be full of Jesus followers. But as we read, they are lukewarm followers of Jesus. And as we read, Jesus wants to just spit them out. So as we look at the context of this letter, and we look at the city of Laodicea, we recognize that the city of Laodicea was well known for its financial institutions and for its medical school. In the medical field, uh, there were several advancements that were initiated for a special salve for treatment of eye problems. And the city also had a strong and lucrative textile industry. And this industry produced beautiful clothing from rich black wool that was produced from sheep that grazed in the area. These resources led to a strong banking industry that attracted large amounts of money to this city. Laodicea could easily rely on its, on its good economic blessings. And they'd probably say, yes, praise be to the almighty dollar. In 60 AD, about 30 years before this writing, a great earthquake destroyed much of the city. And so surrounding governments, uh, they implemented a disaster relief fund. And Laodicea wanted nothing to do with this fund. They wanted nothing to do with their money or their benevolence. Laodicea wanted to be independent. They were rich and they were very proud of it. And they rebuilt their city using their own finances. No help. In this letter, as with many others, we see Jesus again using the current cultural context. He's bringing cultural comparisons into his teaching. As independent as the city was, it was still actually dependent on others for their water. One cannot only rely on oneself as much as they want to. So Laodicea imported its water from surrounding areas. Water pipes were built to bring drinking water 16 kilometers from the south from Colossae. And Colossae was known for its cold and pure and refreshing water. And by the time the water arrived at Laodicea 16 kilometers later, the cold water was no longer refreshing. It was now lukewarm. You wanted a cold drink of refreshing water? Too bad. Laodicea also had water lines 10 kilometers to the north where the hot mineral springs of Heropolis were located. And by the time that these waters flowed down to Laodicea 10 kilometers later, they were no longer hot. They were lukewarm. Nobody again liked lukewarm water. You want a hot coffee? Too bad. So when the church of Laodicea hears these words, lukewarm, 
and they hear these in this letter from the angel on behalf of Jesus, they know what it means and it hurts. They know exactly what words of Jesus, the angel speaking to them. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Hot and cold are opposites. And it's not quite clear that Jesus is using this as a comparison to spiritual health. It's not necessarily clear that cold means a non-believer and hot means somebody that's on fire for Jesus Christ. But what is clear was that the message to the church was do not be lukewarm as your disliked water. Lukewarm water was no good. It's disgusting. It's actually vomit-worthy. Lukewarm water is useless. And a lukewarm person is someone who knows that they need Jesus. But they're not living their lives like they need Jesus. They want to be independent, but cannot be. And the church of Laodicea was lukewarm. It was useless. And it says in this letter that Jesus wanted to vomit them out. And that's not a good thing. They're not, they are not called a lukewarm Christian because you're either Christian or you're not. And there's no in-between. So this church was in the context of a very affluent society. The church said, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. Again, complete independence. The church may have been economically rich, and yet they were spiritually poor. The church felt that they didn't need a thing. The Spirit rebuked the church for not being aware of their desperate need for God's grace. And so Jesus says, you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. And these are not, obviously we know that these are not good attributes to be called out by Jesus. The church relied on their material resources. They were only half committed. They were a middle-of-the-road Christian. In our Western affluent culture, we so often think that we need all, all these things that make for a pleasant life. And as our income increases, our needs and desires grow to match it. And I think too often, too, we desire independence. We must not fail to keep our eyes open and see that we need Jesus. And again, when people are half committed, that's not commitment. As I was preparing this message, I received an email from a large department store, remaining unnamed. I had checked out their online shopping and thought I would just test it for a moment by trying to buy an item. And so I put this item into my online shopping cart and realized that the prices are somewhat marked up compared to the prices in the store. And also they charge a delivery fee if you don't buy enough. So you have to buy a certain amount, you get the fee waived. But, so I left the online shopping and accidentally left this item in my cart. Well, it was about a half a day later, well, the same day, but a half a day later, 
I received this email with the subject line, do not leave your treasures behind. I wonder what was that about? I mean, seriously, first of all, the item in my cart was 48 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> treasures. Sure, sometimes. Aside from that, the message we are receiving is that our possessions are treasures. And to be honest, some of us and many of us, myself included, we treat them that way. And then we feel that we cannot let go of our treasures. I'm not just talking toilet paper anymore. I think the biggest sin that we have today outside the church and inside the church is idolatry. You might think differently, and that's cool. But idolatry is a big sin. Maybe you're idolizing sex. Or maybe your image. You need to look a certain way or act a certain way. Or like the Laodiceans, your independence. You're idolizing your independence or material wealth. So it's important that we are asked, what are your treasures? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. There are several pressures. There are several idols, if you will, that will take our focus away from Jesus. The angel of the church of Laodicea in our church strives to grab our attention, to point our eyes and our hearts to Jesus, to say, listen, all is not lost in this messed up world. Now, in many of the other letters to the churches, Jesus states what he does. In this letter to the church, Jesus is clear to state who he is to get the people back on track on who Jesus is. And Jesus says in this letter, he is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the ruler of God's creation. And let's look at that for a moment. Jesus is the amen. Amen is often used at the end of our prayers and it kind of ends, sometimes ends a prayer that ends a meal. But it is, it, it's a word of confirmation. In the Hebrew language, it, it confirms what has been said meaning so be it. Jesus said it throughout the Gospels to emphasize the truth of what he said, where Jesus said, Jesus is the amen, so be it. And this, this, this suggests the assurance of his promises. It confirms, not only suggests, but confirms the assurance of his promises. I said this, so be it. And it's verified in the next statement when Jesus says that he's the faithful and true witness. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And he is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Jesus is faithful. He's the true witness. He is the perfect witness. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is witness to all our sins. And so he stands up for us, and he knows what we've done but he takes the punishment upon himself. And it's like then we have never sinned. And he's the ruler of God's creation. The term for ruler here is also can be translated as beginning. He's the beginning of God's creation. He was already present in the beginning. And the term beginning is it's a divine title in this book of Revelation. 
Revelation 21, verse 6 and 22, 13, we read, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Meaning Jesus is eternal and he is everywhere present. He's the ruler. He's the beginning of God's creation. And we also read in all these letters that Jesus is all-knowing. In this letter, again, he knows the deeds. He knows this church. So are you beginning to understand who Jesus is? Are you beginning to understand that we need Jesus? And he alone is the only one to save us. And to bring us comfort. To bring us hope. And so Jesus challenges this church to repentance. He challenges them to make a complete change. A complete turnaround. Jesus challenges the church to come to him. To not be lukewarm. But to be fully committed. And as fully committed followers of Jesus. We followers of Jesus. We who know the gospel message. We are called to Him. And many of us, many of us know what it means for God to have come down as a baby. The baby was one of us. He was God. He was humanity. We know about the life of suffering that Jesus endured and the suffering that He endured the final week and the days leading to Good Friday on the cross. We know that he rose from the dead, that he conquered sin and death. And we know that he will return. We know to keep the gospel message as central, to keep our focus on Jesus and to worship him, the amen, the faithful witness, the ruler of God's creation. We, the church, are supposed to know all these things. Jesus says that the people can have all the money they need or even want, but that doesn't make them rich. They're only rich if they buy refined gold from Jesus. He's saying don't trust in human gold. Don't trust in worldly possessions. Invest in gold in the Lord, which has been purified by the fire. Spiritual riches doesn't only mean knowing about Jesus. We have to take it a step further. James 2.19, we read that even the demons know about God. Spiritual richness means knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. Jesus desires a relationship with us. And he desires us to respond with a committed relationship with him. And a relationship, it includes knowledge. But it includes repentance and a change of heart. The riches of Jesus, our salvation and faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And as we read on in this letter that Jesus wants his people not only to invest in pure gold from him, but also to, he wants his people clothed, to invest in white clothes from him. And so he offers them clothes. He offers his people the white garments of Jesus. He wants his people clothed in righteousness. When you put on white clothes from Jesus, you recognize the forgiveness of sins and that Jesus died for all your past, present, and your future sins. And he has made you white as snow. So invest in his gold. Invest in his clothes. Invest in his salve. Invest in the healing ointment 
to put onto your eyes. This church may have been able to physically see, but they were spiritually blind. And the angel in this letter, trying to open their eyes to the word of God, to the scriptures, having a spiritual understanding of God's word, allowing the Holy Spirit to work so that God's word can penetrate people's eyes, hearts, and minds. And as we get towards the end of the letter in verse 20, Jesus is standing there and he's knocking. He's knocking at the door. Now, this verse could be taken out of context in this letter, but Jesus is standing on the outside of the door. And it's not a good thing for Jesus to be on the outside of the door of the church. Jesus is at the door because people have shut him out. They have shut him out due to their commitment to money or possessions or or human answers for happiness. Whatever it might be. There's other priorities in our lives. And people shut Jesus out due to being lukewarm. Putting Jesus second. So out of grace, Jesus is still there. And he's knocking. And he's at the door. And he's challenging the church to respond. And the church is challenged to ensure that Jesus is on the inside of the door. To respond to his amazing grace. And to his amazing love. God's grace and his compassion. As harsh as this letter was. Were shown throughout this letter. Because Jesus called his church to repentance out of love. He desires to have a continual and constant and intimate relationship with his people. And it's out of love and out of grace that those who are victorious, Jesus Christ says, I will give the right for them to sit with me on my throne. And what does this mean? This means the throne is the highest honor. And we'll be sharing in that honor. We'll be sharing in that reign. You see, in the present, we already share in that reign. We share in that reign over satanic powers. And in the future, we will also continue to share in his eternal reign. Despite the brokenness in our world and sinfulness in our lives, despite times that feel so out of control, Jesus continues to be in control. And he continues to desire us to follow him. Jesus has been victorious, and he came to reign by the way of the cross. And he calls us to be victorious just as he did. We don't have to die on the cross. He did that once and for all. We have to take up our cross. We have to follow him. And he set this pattern for his followers. What may have seemed as Jesus' defeat through his death was actually his victory through his death and through his resurrection and his continued reign. Jesus was committed to God's will right up to the cross. And as he reigns in heaven, and today he's challenging us to commitment as well, that we must remain committed to Jesus and to his church, not to be lukewarm, half committed, 
but be fully committed. Committed believers. Committed followers of Jesus. Growing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let the angels encourage us to completely adore the baby in the manger, the Savior who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, our Lord and Savior who reigns on high. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Spirit God, Savior God, we rejoice in this season of anticipation and rejoice that you became flesh and made your dwelling among us. And now we wait and we long for your return. And as we wait, we continue to reflect on all our blessings and thanksgivings that you provide to us, your people. And we are so grateful for your continued work among us in this world. We're grateful for your church and how you love your church and that you send your angels and your spirit to equip and build your church here on this earth. So may we be obedient to your spirit's promptings and to the message that you are sending to us. May we not be lukewarm in our relationship with you, but during this Advent season and beyond that we put Jesus Christ first in our lives because you have put us first with you. Father, where we have fallen short in our commitment to you and to your will, we confess before you. We confess that there are times that we are just too busy to acknowledge you. We confess that there are times that our priorities are messed up. And so we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask that you continue to extend your amazing grace to us. We repent of our shortcomings. And we thank you for your grace and mercy and love. Through your angels and through your spirit, wake us up to your will and to your ways. And may we come to adore you for all that you are and all that you do. It's only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.